Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles, where we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. Hey there. Thanks for stopping by to check out the very first official episode of the Black Hereford Chronicles. I'm Jen Hill, and I could not be more excited about what's coming. The goal of this podcast is to bring you relevant news and discussion from the breed, the association, and occasionally the wider industry. There's so much that we can all learn from each other and the experts in our field. I know this will be a fun journey. Before we dive into today's interview, I want to fill you in on the latest sale reports coming out of Black Herfords. Triple T Farm sold 31 bulls, averaging $4,948. J&N Black Hereford bulls brought an average of $5,946. And Ipsen Cattle Company sold four Black Hereford bulls in their spring sale, averaging $5,525. What's really interesting about the Ibsen sale was that those Black Hereford bulls averaged well above the other breeds that they offered. The Central States sale was also this month, and their six bulls averaged $2,850. So with that said, what better way could we start off our podcast than by bringing in the OG himself? I sat down with the father of the association and the original advocate for American Black Herefords, Joe Hoagland. We discussed our history and where we come from, as well as the growth, the potential, and some of the challenges we face. Let's dig in. Well, thanks so much for hopping on and joining us and being willing to speak to all of our members and our listeners about your experience with the Black Herefords. I want to start with the obvious question. Give me your origin story. How did you get involved in cattle? And then how did that evolve into the Black Herefords? Well, our, our family has been in the cattle business for multiple generations. So I, I won't bore you with how far back we go. But I will say that the farm ever owned as a family uh, was in 1657 in Flatbush, New York. So... And we've always been in farming, just continued to move west uh, 13 generations ago. But uh, in Kansas, we've been in the cattle business here since 1866. And uh, that's kind of the story of how our family got into cattle business. So I, you know, as far as how I uh, got involved with Black Herefords, I was trying to think. I think the first time I ever heard anyone talk about a black Hereford or a black baldy breed or a black white face was in 1985. I was at the uh, annual meeting of the American Hereford Association. We've been uh, registered Hereford breeders since the 1970s. Um, owned a bull that sired two back-to-back uh, 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 national champion bulls at the National Western in Denver. So been 
been pretty heavily involved in Hereford genetics for a long time. But uh, there was a professor there uh, talking about what's the future of the Hereford breed. And he suggested that we may someday turn the breed black. And of course, there was a lot of gasp in the audience. But what had happened is that a few years earlier in 1978, the Angus Association started the Certified Angus Beef Program. Mm -hmm. And that took that breed from, I wouldn't say obscurity, Hereford breed was by far the dominant breed in America. Uh, just about everybody in the beef industry had Hereford cattle in the 1960s and 70s. In the early 1980s, after the development of uh, certified Angus beef, there started to be some change. And by 1985, there was a discussion. You know, that was, what are we going to do about all these black cows that are showing up around the country. And that was when I first heard the idea that maybe we would uh, uh, develop a registry for uh, a black-hided Hereford. At the time, um, I was working for the Hereford Association in 1985 as the director of international activities for them, um, which was a a position that... uh, I held for a couple of years there. Hop Dickinson hired me. Uh, We were having a World Hereford Conference in London. There was activity expos in China. China had just opened up and and we were doing a lot of business in Australia and they needed somebody to kind of coordinate all that. So so that's what I did for a couple of years. uh, But the association was all horned. There was a different association for polled Herefords. In fact, they were still to this day are technically regarded as two separate breeds, although now the genetics is so mixed uh, that it's it's really immaterial. But um, the Horn Hereford Association uh, kept the records for the Brayford Association, which was a... Uh, a breed setup of uh, Brahma cattle, Brahman cattle and Hereford cattle, 50-50 F1. You couldn't have one breed be more than 50% or less than 50% of each registered animal. Well, the Hereford Association kept their records for them. And of course, the board was very familiar with that. That's why there was some discussion then about making a a black baldy registration of Angus and Hereford again, so they could tap into that uh, uh, certified Angus beef program. Well, um, the horned breeders generally did not like that idea. <laughs> there was on the other side of town, there was the Pold Hereford Association, uh, which had some members that were interested in doing that. One of them was. Uh, John Gage, who was the attorney for the Pold Hereford Association. Another one was Frank Felton, who was a Hall of Fame uh, Hereford breeder, Pold Hereford breeder. Uh, we were interested in doing it. Uh, so Frank uh, bought 20 registered Angus cows. We bought 
20 Angus, uh, registered Angus cows, joined the Angus Association and started doing some breed up work. Uh, the two associations had been discussing a merger for some time. This was kind of part of the discussions, but uh, what happened was that it kind of got shelved, mm-hmm. uh, the whole idea of a black uh, you know, white face registry got shelved in that process. The merger was finalized in 1995. John Gage helped negotiate the merger for the Polterford Association. Uh, and he set up the American Black Hereford Association in 1994, incorporated it. He didn't ever uh, raise a registered Black Hereford, and, um, but the corporation was set up at that time I think hoping maybe that it would get merged into the merger that was taking place between Horn and Pold. Right. Uh, that never came about. And so anyway, when he uh, passed away, I bought the association that he'd set up. And uh, Frank and I continued to uh, develop the breed at that point in time. And, and then Frank got ill and died shortly after that. So I was left as the sole survivor of the of the project. So I'm curious, I didn't realize that you had worked for AHA. Did you get some pushback then from them creating this Black Hereford registry and being so involved in it? Well, it's, uh, that's, an inter- that's a good question. And uh, the answer is yes and no. Some, some board members didn't like the fact that, that uh, well, I was not working I was not working for the uh, AHA when I started promoting the idea of a black Hereford. I was already out of that. I only worked for him for two years, and it was primarily to address um, China had set up an agricultural expo in Shanghai, and Hereford Association was invited to attend. They needed somebody to man the booth. I went. Um, the, Lund- uh, the World Hereford Conference was in England. I was a representative to go to that, uh, along with others from uh, the state. So it was kind of filling a specific need. And once that need passed, you know, they kind of abolished the position. But um, but um, but I have a lot of friends in the Hereford Association. In fact, I ran for the board at the time, did not get elected, was um, uh defeated by uh, Monaghan of Monaghan Cattle Company, mm-hmm. uh, old, an old Hereford uh, uh, producer in uh, Western Nebraska. Um, but um, um, the, uh, so that's kind of uh, the origins of it. But there were, there were times when the Hereford Association entertained the idea of having the Black Hereford Association merge with them. It was uh, brought before the board on two separate occasions uh, after I had started it up and we had had our first production sale here at our ranch of just Black Hereford cattle, which was in 2003. 
Uh, we started registering the cattle, I think, in 1997, but there weren't any members or anything. We started selling them in 2003 and set up the association. Then shortly after that, I had uh, lunch with Craig Huffines, who was the executive director of the Hereford Association at the time, and, and asked him if they would be receptive to letting us put our association in theirs and they keep our records because I really didn't want to do it. And uh, he took it to the board and it was voted down fairly significantly, I would say. Uh, I remember uh, Lee Haygood, uh, not Lee, but uh, yeah, Lee, Lee Haygood. Um, uh, his father was Wayne Haygood, who was also a friend of mine. Lee Haywood, <laughs> Haywood was my uh, younger than I was, but he was on the board, and he he spoke um, in defense of the idea. Um, I'm not sure he actually voted to do it, but you know, at least at least we weren't drummed out of the meeting. And then several years later, when uh, uh, David Briner was the president, David and I had owned cattle together and. And uh, his ranch in the Flint Hills, close to our ranch, and he brought it before the board again. And I think it only failed by one vote at that time. That was in 2011 or so. Interesting. That's that's the closest we ever came to being part of the Herford Association. I think if you took our association today and presented it to them, I'd be surprised if they turn us down. Because we're such a viable organization, we've got, I don't know, 400 members, nearly 5,000 registrations annually. I mean, you, you know, it yeah. starts to become an economic thing for them. They, I think we'd be very attractive today. And I'm sure that they look back and regret saying no in those early years. Well, I'm, I'm curious then, because you've been so heavily involved with both organizations, what your thoughts are on their new ag campaign that they've had going the last few months, where their pictures, everything they're pushing out is all black-heighted animals. Yeah, well, of course, the, the Hereford is a great cross on Angus cattle, and everybody uh, in the commercial cattle industry have black-heighted cows for the most part. Uh, all the other breeds have turned their breeds black, Gelby, Limousine, Simmental. Um, So it's, uh, you know, it's an, it's a good cross uh, for several reasons. The the traits that Herefords are weak on, like marbling and ribeye size, Angus is strong on. The traits that black, uh, that Herefords are good at, Feed conversion, Angus are not so good at. Temperament, uh, Herefords are good, Angus are not so good. So when you come start to combine those things, that's a cross where, for whatever reason, the better parts of both breeds come together. That's not always the case when you merge two breeds. You can end up with something uh, that uh, is more undesirable. But in this case, uh, you've got the best of both worlds. and. Uh, you know, that's why the black baldy cow has been such a popular cow. It's, you know, it's easy keeper, good temperament. You don't have to, you know, make sure the children stay away from the cows when they're calving, <laughs> things like that. Right. 
Hey guys, sorry for busting in on the middle of this, but sponsorships are part of what keeps this thing rolling. So consider supporting our sponsors. Our first sponsor is HI slash cattle company. Profit margins in the cattle industry are tighter than ever, and you can't afford to leave premiums sitting on the grid. HI slash cattle company located in the heart of the Nebraska sand hills is committed to helping real cattlemen improve their herds. They don't chase fads and don't fall for show ring gimmicks. At HI slash cattle, they raise bulls with grit that know how to work. Feel free to find them on Facebook or check out their website, hi-cattle.com. So after all your history with the breed, what would you say surprises you the most about the breed or the association? Um, well, I can't say that I'm really surprised uh, about anything. The, uh, you know, I mean, I think that we, I always felt that the breed had, you know, some lasting qualities that other cattle don't have. One of the things that surprised me about the breed was the fact that we uh, developed such great calving ease. I didn't anticipate that. Not that Herefords are not good calving cattle, um, but Angus have selected for so long for the spread between birth weight and weaning weight that they have effectively selected for shorter gestation periods, if you understand what I mean. In other words, they have they have targeted cattle to be born with low birth weights so that there's a bigger difference between the weaning weight and the birth weight. Right. Playing the numbers what, game. But when they did that, they basically selected for cattle that calve a little bit prematurely. And uh, we were able, when we brought the Angus genetics in to mix with the Herefords, we were able to preserve some of that uh, shorter gestation period, which has been uh, a remarkably good trait for us. I think the hybrid vigor of both breeds gives that calf a little more vigor uh, at birth and they get up and nurse a little better in colder weather than say a straight Angus would that weight 68 pounds like the black Herford does. So, you know, that's, that that was the surprise, I think, if there was one. The feed efficiency, things like that, I kind of already knew would happen. So then what are one of some of the big challenges you think that our breed is going to face moving forward? We've come a long way, but what are the yeah. challenges we're still looking at? Well, I, I think that uh, the challenge is always being able to have genetic evaluations, scientific evaluations of your cattle so that uh, somebody can look at the cattle and analyze what the calves out of these animals are going to be like based upon some quantitative measurement. Uh, that's the whole science of EPDs, genetic uh, evaluations, expected progeny differences from the, the animal. Yeah, and I think that, you know, EPDs are something the association has spent a lot of time setting up and then outgrowing and growing into something new and, and continuing to outgrow and grow into something new. So it's, it's a good problem to have. 
that we need to continuously reevaluate our EPD program. Well, we've come a long way. The very first EPDs, this is an interesting story, the very first EPDs done for Black Herefords was done by Dan Mosier. Dan Mosier, of course, was the uh, uh, genetic uh, evaluations expert for the uh, Angus Association for several years, for, formerly a professor at Kansas State University. And when he was there at K-State, I went to him, I knew him, and I said, Dan, will you help us out and, and produce some EPDs? Because I knew that he was doing the EPD work for the Hereford Association has always been done in Australia. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether people realize that or not, but the Horn, the Horn Hereford Association, after University of Georgia says, we're going to get out of the EPD business. We're a science uh, facility. We, we invented EPDs, but we're not going to continue to provide EPDs to the beef industry, and you're going to have to go somewhere else. And the Hereford Association went to a firm in Australia to do theirs. And, uh, but, um, uh, we, we used, uh, uh, Dan Mosier, even though he was an academic, we could, because we were a small breed, we could talk him into it. And he was doing some work on developing a new line of EPDs, carcass EPDs for the Hereford Association. So he had access to Hereford records and Hereford pedigrees and could plug our black Herefords into that and give us uh, some level of predictability, which uh, which we started with. And then after that, we switched to uh, Texas A&M, Dr. David Riley, a geneticist there to take over. And, um, you know, but it's always difficult. These academic universities are really not interested in, the, in doing what is basically known science for-profit business. And they, they get into it for, you know, a limited period of time, but they don't really want to dwell on it. I'm hopeful, and I know that we're working on it now. I know my son is involved in, in trying to get uh, uh, the Black Herefords into the uh, multi-breed analysis that all the other breeds are in. That would be a huge step forward for us because that puts us on the same page as everybody else in the beef industry. We, you could directly compare a Black Herefords EPDs to a Charlotte's EPDs to an Angus EPD to to a limousine and a Gelby. They're all in that big multi-breed analysis. We're, we're trying to get our breed into that. That would help us immensely. Uh, our ranch has been in that since 2015, and it's, it's helped us grow our commercial business dramatically. Well, if we can meet our customers where they're at and with something they're already familiar with, you're that much closer to making the sale. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and we've got a story to tell. You know, we've got some good numbers. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, with corn at $8 a bushel, uh, feed efficiency is, is uh, going to be more important. And we, we shine at that. We absolutely shine. Uh, I'm trying to buy up some steers, some uh, Black Herford sired steers for some of our customers, put them in the feedlot just to get some more information, more data. We own we own the converter bull, which is a Herford bull, pulled Herford bull that's owned with ABS. Uh, and uh, 
he set the all-time record for feed conversion. He converted it at a rate of 3.35 pounds of dry matter to a pound of gain. I mean, that's like a, a chicken can hardly do that. You know? right. So so that kind of feed conversion uh, is really good. We just closed out a pen of uh, steers out of uh, that we bought out of Oklahoma, primarily Brangus and uh, uh, Brangus mixed cattle. And they converted at about seven or eight to one, you know, cost of gain at a dollar twelve. Well, you can see if you can convert it five and a half to one, you'd lower that cost of gain to like 95 cents. That's, that's real dollars. Right. And then we've got to tell that story. You know, yeah, and, well, know. We, we've got to measure it. We, right. we, we, we've got to document it, but it's there. I know anecdotally it's there because we've, we, in our own feedlot, we have pins of black Herefords next to pins of, of Angus cattle. And the black Herefords eat about 25% less to be at the same basic uh, right. body condition. So we know that that's the case, but to document it um, scientifically is a, uh, another process. But I think we'll get there. There are ways to do it. Now, so. Our operation has put some of our steers into a feed test out here put on by one of the major Angus producers, TD Angus and Trey Wasserberger. And we've won the yield the last two years. And I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't part of me that just loved watching all those purebred Angus breeders have to see our white-faced calves clean up every year. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you get any feed intake numbers? Um, we haven't got them back yet. Okay. So. That's where, I think that's where it would really be impressive uh, to, to yield well is 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 critically important because that's right. a big component you know especially you know as you sell cattle from where we are in north where it's all you know uh in in the meat uh, uh pricing to 227 or or whatever for the for the carcass weight but uh, uh so if you can get that yield from 63% to 66%, right. again, those are real dollars. That's what I and like that's, to remind that's everyone. That's, here. I, that's the name of the game. We're in the beef industry. We're creating beef. You know, right. they feel just like cattle, but we're really all beef producers. That's right. So where do you see the breed going in the next 10, 20 years? What's, what do you think our long-term future is? Um, well, I think it's, uh, uh, I, I think the feed efficiency component is huge. I think that will become more well-documented. There's not a lot of science there right now. It's hard to collect, you know, they've got some, some, um, uh, feed monitoring systems where you have an RFID tag, the animal goes to the bunk, it records the animal being there, how long it's there, how many pounds the bunk is weighed, so they know how much the animal ate at each setting, and they can track that for individual animals. That science is going to get more sophisticated over time, and we will 
be able to really know what cattle do in terms of individual feed intakes and then start breeding for that. And some of it's available now in programs like the bull test that you're talking about. There's one in Iowa. There's there's some in Kentucky. There are a variety of states that do uh, those feed intake analysis, but uh, that's that's a big selling point for the Black Herford. The other thing is calving use. If we, you know, the most important thing to the commercial guy is getting a live calf on the ground. So that's where it all starts, and uh, and and that's the strength. So I think those two things could propel the breed significantly. So we've got a lot of new members, a lot of new breeders that are jumping on. The momentum has been pretty fabulous in the last couple of years. What's one piece of advice you would give to those new guys that are just dipping their toes into the Black Hereford world? Well, um, that's a good that's a good question. You know, I mean, I was. I was a, a registered Hereford breeder and a registered Angus breeder before I ever became a registered Black Hereford breeder. And one of the things that's hard, it's always easier to buy cattle than it is to sell them. Right. <laughs> and and uh, I was always interested in selling and making money doing this. So I, I found that it was, it was difficult to just go out and try to copy what somebody is successful at, copy what they were doing and and hope to be as good as they are at it because that never happens. You have to leapfrog. You have to leapfrog the competition somehow. You have to, you have to find a way to uh, reinvent yourself to, to jump over the guys that are in front of you to be the top of the breed. And that, and essentially, that was what was so appealing to me about the Black Hereford was that, you know, we could start at the beginning, we could start at the top, and, and the challenge for us is to remain at the top. And, and I think we're, we're doing that, but it's not easy. There's a lot of good breeders right behind us. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been working on a lot of different things lately. I read interesting things about projects you've got going what are some of the things you're working on and what are you feeling passionate about right now? Well, um, you know, uh, I invented this um, cell phone app that uh, uses facial recognition to identify cattle uh, and to, and we were, we take a photograph of the animal and then we record the GPS location where that photograph was taken and the date. And then we can use facial recognition to track it. And we're, it's been a fascinating thing. I uh, have uh, uh, been contacted by uh, people all over the world wanting to use the technology and it works for the most part. It doesn't work perfect. It doesn't work as well on, on Android phones as it does on iPhones, for example. Uh, but uh, we, uh, uh, we've had some difficulty. We're doing, we did a, uh, trial for Tyson here just this last winter, uh, where we were looking at a set of solid black uh, steers, trying to be able to identify them as they age. 
through the winter and we recorded them in the system in uh, October and then re-entered them again in January. And the difference in hair growth over the winter through the biometrics of the face off a little bit had trouble tracking them. So that's been that's been kind of difficulty. But the thing that's interesting about artificial intelligence is that the technology developed so rapidly that we're just kind of on hold waiting for the next step in uh, uh, in facial recognition to be able to take us over the threshold. But we've had we've had uh, some amazing uh, interest. For example, uh, the European uh, Union is wanting to place sanctions on Brazil for. Uh, beef coming from the Amazon rainforest and deforestation areas. Most all the deforestation in the Amazon uh, occurs, and then that land is put to grass. Basically, it's not for row crops or anything. They burn down the trees and they plant grass and run cattle on. They want to be able to prohibit those cattle from coming into Europe, and they were looking at our our cell phone app because it's free and it's uh, inexpensive to use to be able to document where in Brazil the cattle are coming from that are being shipped by um, JBS and uh, uh, Margin and the other uh, big uh, beef packers into Europe. And uh, um, that uh, um, is an ongoing, ongoing project for us. Right. That is not a, a place I would have seen that facial recognition going. So that's super interesting. Well, we've got a lot of bright people working on it. It's not, <laughs> I'm just kind of the, um, I'm the chairman of the thing, but there's, there's a lot of scientists and, and very bright people. The guy that's the president of the company is a graduate of the University of Cambridge, had his master's degree in, uh, in disease traceability. So he's really focused exactly on what we're yeah. trying to do. Well, you know, they say that that blockchain is where all this is going. Yeah, and we use, we use, block, use blockchain, a uh, uh, verified ledger to uh, uh, maintain the integrity of, of the data going in the system so that it can't be altered right Uh, so yeah and that work is all done in india surprisingly Hmm. so well i will finish us out with the last question that you so awesomely suggested for (laughs) me what is one thing that you would do to improve the black herford breed great question (laughs) well i you know I'm, to me, the obvious answer is to join with the other breed associations in the same genetic evaluation, uh, to be a part of uh, IGS, which is the International Global Solutions. It's a syndicate of, uh, of breed associations primarily led by the Simmental Association. Uh, their CEO, Wade Schaefer, I think really jump-started the thing and and uh, uh, it's kind of housed at the Simmental uh, Association's offices in Bozeman, Montana. But, but they do, they have the largest database in the world. They 
uh, manage the genetic evaluations for 13 or 14 breeds, we would be next if we if we are, can go into their. I think they're doing some trial work for us now, and it's just really a question of uh, getting signed up and being a part of it. But they're they're the gold standard for right. genetic evaluations, and it's the language everybody in the beef commercial beef industry understands. It's, are the numbers everybody's looking at things like index, terminal index those are terms of art for the industry now that's that's who produces those well boy it's exciting that the association is at a place financially that that's within grasp now you know and that's due to a lot of the work that people like you laid down at the very beginning that's the, yeah. I mean, it's always a question of money. Genetic evaluations are expensive, and uh, that's uh, that's uh, a, uh, but that's that's a good investment for us. That will take us to the next level. I'm I'm quite certain. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your willingness to come on here and share your knowledge and your background with everyone. I. Couldn't be more grateful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Good luck with this podcast. I think it's a great idea. I'm just sorry I didn't think about it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Goodbye. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.